Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. Thanks to E13 for partnering with the podcast for this episode. All E13 wheels are engineered as a system and optimized for the weight, strength, and durability for the riding style they serve, such as gravel, XE, trail, enduro, and DH. Making exciting World Cup performance dependable and accessible is their goal. All E13 wheels are hand-built to the highest standards for the ultimate in consistency and dependability, and developed with pro riders and lab-tested extensively to ensure it. Upgrading your wheels can make the greatest difference in performance, dependability, and capability of a bike. In racing, we always look for every little advantage we could get. Wheels played a vital role in this quest. A lighter wheel will accelerate up to speed much quicker. With E13, I knew I had advantages that I could also trust with how durable the wheel is. A wheel needs to be able to withstand a lot of punishment on the World Cup circuit. E13's LG1 Race Carbon Enduro Wheels may have started as the little brother of E13's legendary World Cup DH wheels, but they have evolved over the past few generations into purpose-engineered Enduro World Series-worthy thoroughbreds. These very wheels were awarded the vital MTB Best MTB Gear of the Year award in 2022. Head on over to www.e13.com for more info.
How's it? And welcome back, folks. This is Moving Needle Podcast. Thanks so much for all the awesome reviews, feedback on the last few episodes. Now, if you're new to the show, welcome. We are deep diving into the world of mountain biking, that's for sure. I threaten to have other sportsmen and maybe business people on. We'll get to those, but uh, I am super grateful for a good friend of mine. We were actually teammates back on the racing circuit. It is none other than Marcelo Guterres from Colombia. I don't even think I got the name right. Probably didn't pronounce his country as correctly as I should. But uh, that is why I've got him on the call. My man, how on earth are you doing? It's been a long time. Oh, what's up, Andrew? And hey, everyone. It's funny that you still struggle with my last name. It's Gutierrez, but well, I kind of gave up with it. Yeah, but I mean, I am I can relate because no one can say my last name correctly how it's meant to be. Say it again. It's Marcelo. So many people say Marcelo. So it's Marcelo, my first name. And then uh, we don't use middle names here. And then my last name is Gutierrez. The R sounds Gutierrez. like... Gutierrez. <laughs> no, you won't... Uh, that was closer, but you'll struggle Gutierrez. with Because that's... Well, yeah, let's leave it like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I won't yeah, be too, yeah. I, too demanding. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm trying. It's all and good, uh, what about What about Colombia? I, I don't, I don't oh, spell you, it correctly you, half the time. I don't say it correctly half the time. No, you got it pretty good there. Many, many people also say Colombia. It's funny because like last year I did a post about something with Colombia. And well, I don't know why some people were arguing that Colombia, it's well spelled as well in English because Columbus was the one that discovered whatever here. So... If it's Columbus, then it makes sense that it's Colombia as well. Oh, just like never-ending fight, but it's Colombia. You you got it right there. Uh, lovely. And you you are are you proud of your home country as you should be? I haven't been able to visit, and you're spending you a, a lot more time. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, not just for the party, but also to see the beauty and the riding. <laughs> but you you're spending spending a lot more time at home than. I guess you probably, I mean, you travel a lot. I know you're busy. I mean, it was tough to get this uh, schedule nailed down, um, but you are spending more time at home maybe consistently, right? Well, that was the intention, to be honest. <laughs> that was the whole goal when I stopped racing World Cups. And, well, when everything kind of started, was three years ago. We're going to get into it later. But so 19, I was like, okay, I'm sick of traveling so much. Uh, I want to spend time in Colombia. And then moving into 2020, I was like, okay, let's make it happen. Well, in a way, I was, uh, well, I didn't have a choice because we were in the pandemic, right? So I was at home for the whole year, which I loved it. I was like, oh man, well, pandemic actually made me stay at home. But then... Uh, at the end of 2020, I started moving around Colombia because that was the intention as well, to travel around my country because like, I've been traveling the world for many years. And I was like, man, I really want to explore my country. So I started with that. And then, well, 2021, everything kicked off again with my wife uh, being part of the business, which we're going to talk later too. And man, we've been on the move. Like this year, 2022, 
I think I've been traveling more than what I used to travel when I was racing. It's been crazy. It's been lovely, but it's been, it's been really busy. It's so funny. It's like, be careful what you wish for, because you might actually get it and you th would stay home more. I mean, you're home in your country, but you're traveling more. But I mean, we were teammates on, on Giant for the full context of some people are maybe newish to your name. And man, I, I was just always so impressed with your drive, your work ethic. And, and you had this this goal to be a, a, a top downhill mountain biker, which is a big challenge. I can relate to it on a, on a, on a scale coming out of South Africa. Let's be honest, there's third world aspects to both our countries. The currency doesn't go that far. It's far to travel. Uh, experience of tracks but you seem to just have one goal in mind and that was to be as fast as you could and and get up to the top level of world cup down racing which you you achieved easily you know by the end of it with world cup podiums etc well thanks for those words and yeah man like that was something that has been part of me for well my whole life and it's just having a goal and being determined to achieve it and well, you were part of that uh, process when I started the team being Mr. No One. And I remember I was the third in the team and I was looking up to you and Danny. And well, first of all, thanks for all the advice, the patience, because I know how it feels to have a novice or a rookie uh, doing mistakes, being childish or whatever. So thanks for all that patience and the guidance. And yes, man, like that's something I've been telling to people every time people ask me about some advice or, or like if they ask me, hey, how could I get my kid to be a pro or this and that? I think that chip, it's inside you. Like once you're determined, you're determined and nothing is going to stop you. But sometimes when you have to actually put wood into the fire to someone, oh man, it's going to be your job to put the wood forever. Uh, instead of my case, thanks God, as you said, it's not easy from our countries. The currency doesn't work. The visas are a, a nightmare and everything is against us. So, so yeah, it was a, a proper fight, which I loved because once you have things easy, you don't really give the value to things. But once you have to fight for things, I think it's just a different satisfaction once you achieve what you're trying to get. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Uh, when things come to someone too easily, you don't sort of understand that work ethic. And and uh, some some guys are incredibly talented from the get-go, or they started riding a lot earlier than others, and it, and it seems to come natural. But I think uh, that's sometimes a disservice to them because if you don't learn like the work ethic and, and maybe to appreciate things as well, I think we probably hopefully took some of that into the pro ranks, even though you get pretty spoiled as a pro rider. But what what were some of the hardships like making it out of there? You mentioned visas and all that. But I mean, what was it like coming over when all you knew were your home tracks and now you come over to Europe and it's long, it's steep, it's rough? <laughs> well, let's just start by everything was different. Uh meaning everything. I mean, nothing was relatable, but that I was riding a bike. Uh, tracks here are not that long, not that fast, uh, not as uh, gnarly per se. So first year that I went to Fort William, I was like, oh man, this is a whole new game for me. Um, 
And it was a process of kind of getting used to it. And luckily, at the very beginning, trucks weren't as fast as they didn't, well, as they're right now. I mean, these days, it's a whole different game than, than Colombia or Latin America, because like, man, trucks go fast. And if you also were to mention visas, as you said, oh man, that was a nightmare to travel the world. Currency, languages, like, well, at least when you, when we were teammates, my English was better. But first year, 07, I traveled to Scotland. Man, my English was good enough to say yes, no, and thanks back then. So, so I actually had to learn in the rough way because I was like, either I learn and manage to talk to people or I'm going to be just, just like somewhere in the corner without being able to talk to people. So language as well was a mission. And well, getting used to deal with, how do you say like, because the very first year I traveled with the Federation, the Colombian Federation, and it was a joke. I mean, with all the respect that those guys deserve, it was funny. Like we got to Scotland and the manager, the Colombian team manager that year, he didn't speak English. He didn't have a credit card. So we got to Glasgow, I think, just ready to rent a car. He didn't even book a car. So we got to the airport. <laughs> okay, let's find a car. And, and I, I learned the rough way, like, fuck, I can't, I can't really rely on these guys because like, like, they have no clue what they're doing. I mean, we were all learning back then. And we, like, none of us, we were six of us. None of us had a credit card, so we couldn't rent a car. So, and we didn't have hotel book and we didn't have Wi-Fi or data or so we didn't have a GPS. Oh man, that year I was like, okay, okay. Now I like next time I need to actually look ahead what's coming and be ready because this, this is unsustainable. So, well, things, things fall into place pretty quick because I was like, either I do my things or... How on get too far? How on earth did you get to Fort William, and where did you stay? I mean, Glasgow to Fort William's two to three hour drive when you have a car and you know where you're going. <laughs> oh man, this is stories. It's I mean today. I mean today is funny, but like that day. So we got to Glasgow. It could have been Edinburgh. I well either way, both of them are three hours away. So we got there. Okay, car. Okay, we don't have credit cards, okay? Somehow, I can't even remember how we get a car. The car was an SUV. We were, I think, five of us with four bikes and five duffels. So we fit four bikes, five people, all the luggage in this car. I don't know how, don't ask me how, but like we were, three of us were sitting in the rear seat half of the seat was being was used by us and the rest was packed with bikes and everything right so we started driving and don't ask me how we got there because like i i don't even remember because we started driving probably at seven or eight i remember and then i remember we stopped at somewhere to ask the police hey so where do we go now so we kept going and and like, luckily they didn't really look inside because we were just like 
<laughs> and we were going to get a fine, like a ticket really badly if they looked how we were sitting in the back. And so we got to Fort William, let's say at midnight. Okay, now let's find a hotel. And <laughs> we started asking in hotels and they were all booked. Like, I, I mean, it was World Champs 07. And then we found a place and they said, well, we, you could stay here just for tonight. Okay, thank you. So we stayed there for one night, knowing that the morning, the next morning, we needed to move and look for more hotels around. So we ended up walking around. Hey, do you have room? Do you have room? Because like, don't even bother on calling because our English wasn't good enough. So we found this bed and breakfast that was closed and the lady opened it for us for the next few days. So we ended up staying over that bed and breakfast, which also was a show because, I mean, it was a show. But yeah, that's how we got there. Not sure how we got there because we didn't have a map, a GPS, nothing. I don't even know. <laughs> but we, that is, we, I've, we never heard, I've never heard that story. That's incredible. I mean, I've definitely <laughs> hitched ride and had to make it work and squash into cars. But I think that's one of the the, the best slash worst stories I've heard to make your way to the, your first ever world champs. And if, if, yep. if memory serves me somewhat accurately, I feel like you got a podium at Fort William in your career or it was your first podium, wasn't it? No, first podium was in Fort William for sure. Uh, but it was, it was back in 2015. Yeah, 2015, first podium. At Fort William? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah Fort William so was always special. How... How special is that from barely having a place to sleep in Fort William at your first Worlds and then you come full circle and that's where you make your mark on the podium scene at a World Cup. So, that's actually crazy. I'll tell you, Fort William has three special moments in my career. First was the first big event internationally that I went to, 07. And then 2015, uh, first podium in my career, World Cup podium. And then 19 was the year that I realized that I, actually in Fort William, I realized that, man, I'm over this. So, because Fort William was always special and I was struggling with the, with the drive and like the motivation. And then 19, I got to Fort William, warming up for qualities. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. So Fort William was the very beginning, the very highlight, and the realization that I was ready to move on. Wow, that's insane, actually. But like, that's probably how life works, doesn't it? it? It gives you these signs. And some of them are to push through, like the first one. <laughs> Find some accommodation, figure out this, this race. And then you have the sign that you can do it in the sport of a podium. And then it goes full circle. That's super interesting that that's where you would expect yourself, like you say, maybe to get re-energized or motivated if you're having a tough year or you don't know why you don't feel yourself. You're like, well, I'm going back to a place that I performed well at. I loved that. Take me back to a place where I podiumed or was easily you know, having a good result. I loved going back there, even in the later years. But um, that's super interesting that that's where you realize. So you remember that warming up for a quali run, just what, not uh, oh, wanting yeah. to be there or not motivated to go fast? What, what was the feeling? Mm, it all started back home. I mean, that year, 
that year, like 18 was tough because I struggled with uh, an illness. And it was a tough year, man. And then, well, I did a lot of changes for 19. So change my trainer, change my routine, change my program, change so many things. So moving forward into 19, uh, where did we have the race, the very first race? I can't remember. Might have been Lourdes or I don't know. So wherever we start a year, I was like, okay, let's do this so I can get to Fort William really fire up because for William, as we've been saying, was the place that I love to perform on. Like, I felt good on that track. I trained, fuck man, like I trained really hard the month before with Oscar. Uh, so we got a really intense program in order to prepare for for William. And then packing for for William, it all started, as I was saying, packing. I was like, oh, it doesn't really feel like before. Like, it was a different feeling. Then the plane, I was like, I don't even feel nervous. I don't, it, it just, it was a different feeling from the very beginning. Then I arrived in Fort William and whoever picked me up and we were driving to Fort William. I'm like, it just, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, everything, I, something inside me was showing me that it was a different perspective from the event go there and like it just i don't know i i was just being a passenger like full-on passenger mode and then when we started training i felt like i was just being a passenger up and down up and down i was like i wasn't even i wasn't even really keen on try hard like let's uh push let's risk no i was just okay let's one more run one more run one, okay they won checked and then for qualities, that's when I was like, okay, this is not right. Because I was warming up. And with the view, I mean, you know, for William, it's beautiful. The view is amazing. I, it's just, everything is gorgeous. I was doing this routine that I was being, that I was doing that year of warming up because we were told like the sports psychology, you need to do this in order to get to the proper state of mind, this and that. And I was like, man, I feel like a like like a robot. Like this doesn't like it's just like doing it over and over and over and over and over nonstop. And I kind of like started asking myself so many questions. Like, why do I need to keep doing this? Like, what am I trying to get from this? Like, I don't know. I just kind of realized that okay, I was going to for William since '07. That was 19, 12 years going, some years, twice a year. I'm like, this feels like just going to your summer house, whatever. And, and then qualified. Well, I qualified luckily and got to the bottom. And Joe, the manager, was there. I'm like, well, I barely qualified. I told Joe, like, dude, like, I'm not feeling it. Like, it doesn't feel right. And then race day, day after. Once again, like I didn't even, I, I mean, I made it down and I, but I, I realized that day and that day I called Valentina, my wife. Now I called her and said, like, I think I'm over. Like, I think this was the moment where I realized that like, it's time to do different things. And, and I kind of lost the intention of being number one. Like I was, I asked so many things to myself 
during that year and that very moment for William was the moment where I realized that, nah, like there's much more to do in life than just trying to be the best on a sport. I mean, I achieved some of that. I was really good. I conquered my dreams, whatever. But that year, that day, that place was that moment. Wow. There's a lot of athletes that I think push through that feeling and maybe extend careers longer than you could argue they should. Um, and I, and I, I, I'm, I think it's quite courageous when you listen to yourself because my last few years, or maybe my last year, uh, there was probably thoughts of, mm, don't know if I want to be on the road as much. Ooh, don't know if I really want to hit the ground as much. When you're young, that's not really a thought, right? It's just, what can I do to be better? What can I improve? How I'm going to train harder. I want to beat beat as many people as I can. And and then you get to the point where these doubts start creeping in. And, and, and some riders push through it. And, and it's interesting to hear you go, well, you realize that's the moment. Because a lot of people are forced out of the sport and then they realize there's more to life. Yeah, but like something that I also realized in the sport and you could also tell me, uh, some people in the sport, I I was talking like, because in all those last few years, I was talking with so many people trying to understand the like their situations to other riders and their background and their dreams. So many of us in the World Cup, uh, well, I wouldn't include myself because I had a I have a degree, but so many people haven't even finished the school. So many people don't have another option in life. Like yeah, all they know, all they want, all they've done is racing bikes. So once you don't have another option or or you don't have you haven't done anything else what else do you do you extend your career as long as you can and later on well you i don't know you find what to do at a bike shop or or i don't know like you can go many examples in in, in like in the in the years so when i was realizing that i was like okay now i understand and a good example is a good friend of mine, Mick Hanna. I was really close to Mick last, the, the, the last year I was racing. And talking to him, I understood why he was there. Because like all he's done in his life is racing. And he loves racing. He loves it. Yeah, he, he That's does all he, seemingly truly, truly love it. Eh? It's yeah, like so in his blood. It. But does he have another option? He's maybe not thought about that yet. <laughs> well, I, I ask him. Like I ask him. And no, like a lot of riders don't even think on what's after. So I was like, okay, now I understand why they're here forever. Uh, so that year, I, you, I, I could extend it. And the people always told me like, oh, you need to move into Enduro. You're going to do so good. And I was like, I, I'll tell you what was the biggest realization that I had that year. After I achieved so many things, I did so many things, I probably built more than I could have dreamed of achieving or building. Like say money-wise, contract-wise, reputation, results, whatever you want to mention there. I'm like, 
what's the point of all this if I don't have in, even time to enjoy it? Because you can have X amount of money, you can have X amount of cards, you can have X amount of everything, and you don't even, you don't even have time to spend it. So like, what's even the point? And more money, more problems, more fame, more problems. And you try to satisfy your, your happiness or you try to, to fill it up by, by material things, external things. And then that year, 19, I was like, I wonder what's going on with me. Like I have more than I even dreamt of and I'm, I'm feeling empty. What's wrong here? And I keep asking, like, I keep, like, what's wrong? Like, if I ask myself, what else do I want in life? I had it all. I didn't want more. I'm like, and then I'm still, in, I'm still feeling weird, like empty, just sad. And that's when I realized, like, when you're full focus on racing and when you're fully on traveling and all this, you do a lot of sacrifices without really, really realization. Like you travel, so you sacrifice your family time, your friends' time, your own time. And these three things are proven by studies, the main things that you really need to work on your life in order to be fulfilled. If you don't have these three things kind of in here, in your head and present, I mean, you can have so much fun in your life. You can have so much fame, status, followers, whatever you want to have. But you will always be trying to get more and more and more and more because that's the only way you try to feel yourself alive. But I understood that there's much more to life. And that's when I stopped because I was like, what's the point of having so much if I don't even enjoy it that much anymore? And you, um, that was the year when we had the chat in Innsbruck, right? Must have been yeah. 2019. And yeah, you didn't seem... The, the conversation from what I remember, there was, if I look back, I could understand you weren't happy, but it did seem like you were pointing to external things at the time. Maybe you hadn't quite figured out that doesn't matter what team you were going to be on or what teammates you had or what results were coming. I don't think you'd quite figured out like, oh shit, internally there's something a little bit not quite right here. But the 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 way you walked away, you didn't have a backup plan yet. You just knew that this current path wasn't making you happy yeah that was and that's wow, something that, that, that does is, take courage i must say that's cool thanks for that andrea and like that's part of also when i started all this it was and it's still trying to inspire people because like life's too short andrea life's damn too short and yeah. we're not here to be unhappy we're not here to be unsatisfied and well, unluckily, there's a lot of uncourageous people out there. And I understand. I mean, it's hard to jump into the emptiness without even having a clue of what to do. So that year, all I knew is like I wasn't happy. And I was, I was keen. No, I was committed to look for happiness and to spend time for myself. And I'll tell you three things that happened that year as well which were pretty inspiring. Number one, after traveling so much and watching so many things and reading so many things, I watched this documentary of this marathon race in the States. It's called Barclay Marathon. Barclay Marathon is a 
I don't even know what's the name of it. It's like an ultra run orientation, whatever. Hell, it's a hell of a race. Like it, people go there like from 60 people that register, I think two or, or five. There have been years that no one finishes because it's so hard. Like, no is, one, it on, like, is it on Netflix? Is it on Netflix yeah, now? On Netflix. Currently, I think I yeah, watched that episode. Yeah, yeah. Does that lady yeah, get cold. cramps and she has to retire? In the oh no, like, I think you were watching uh, in the in the desert, the one you yeah, watched. Yeah, is that something cramps. different? Yeah. No, it's okay. it's older. It's called it's called Barclay Barclay Marathon. It's it's okay. uh, it's imp impressive. So, one guy, they were interviewing this guy. So, why on earth are you doing this race? They asked him, and he said. Well, I always wanted to do this race. And last year, I was inspired by my dad because my dad said, when I retire, I'm going to travel the world. So he saved all his life, all the money he could to travel the world when he retires. And well, well, he was too optimistic, hoping that he was going to be alive when he retires. One year before, he died. So that makes you realize and understand that what makes you think that you can save for later what you want to do now. Nothing on earth will make you actually be sure that you will get that. So that was number one. Number two, uh, right when we got here after the season 19, there was an urban race in Bogota. I didn't go there. And then a good friend, I mean, he's, he's been on the uh, scene forever here in Colombia, young guy, was probably 35 at that time. Ben, quadriplegic. He crashed and then... Shit. So that was bad. Like, damn. Like, you're always hoping that you're going to do something later and you never know what can happen today. You can crash in the stupidest way and then your whole life is ruined. And then third thing was a guy from hometown, young guy, 27 at that time, he was in Medellin riding bikes one day on his road bike. He was talented. He was a good guy. He, well, good future ahead of him. Then one day he was descending on his road bike. No one knows what happened. He just crashed badly. Boom. And died right away. So I was like, you never know. You never know. And people think that they can just, okay, next year I'll do it. Next year, tomorrow. No, there's no tomorrow, Andrew. Well, it's not, it's not guaranteed, man. I would know. I mean, you know, I've lost my father and people are scared to talk about it or ask me about it. And it's not a topic I'm scared about speaking about because it's a harsh, harsh lesson to us as his son and my, my mom. And there was probably lots of things that got put off and uh, he sacrificed a lot for his kids. And that's what I'm entirely thankful for. But it's a lesson because he's, he forgot about his health maybe a little bit and and these things caught up on him, right? Uh, and you, you're right. Tomorrow is definitely not a guarantee. But for you to have that realization, like, in the height of a career, because I thought your career was shorter, but coming over in 07 and racing till 2019, that's 12 years. That's a, that's a big <laughs> it stint. Was 12 and years. Yeah. That in, in downhill mountain biking, uh, people ask me, and I'm like, I did 14 years, full years. Like, I think that's pretty good. Like you just keep thinking about Greg Menar and PD, but those are yeah. and Mick, Mick Hanna and maybe G a bit and Sam, but it's it's a it's a young man's sport uh, for various reasons, and uh, 
yeah, you, have you ever talked to Josh Bryson? I, I want to chat to him because he also moved on from a career that was at the pinnacle of success. You know, many other people would have just ridden out that success, taken the contracts, but he just wasn't happy doing the same thing, right? He, I tried to talk to him, but here's how I want to reach out to <laughs> To him. talk to, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that. You won't, yeah, you won't really understand what he says, but yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, he was also part of those guys that I was like, man, like, you can always do this. Like, you can, because I was also like, in, in a contract. I, that year that I quit, I had a three years contract. And I said to the brands, like, I'm, I'm over. So, and I was, I was meant to talk to Josh to ask him, how did, how did you even find the motivation to do this? How, but yeah, like he was the guy that did it the best. Like he was in the pinnacle, he was the best. And then suddenly, no, I'm over. I don't want to race anymore. I'm like, damn, like this is courageous. And he just, yeah, he, he. I wonder. I wonder what were his motivations or his reasons. But yeah, I mean, he was also courageous to just look for what actually filled him up. So um, yeah, you spoke about this realization, and when people close to you go through these things, and that often happens when, say, someone gets sick, they change their lifestyle one hundred and eighty degrees, or they lose a family member or a friend, and that sort of snaps you out of it. But you know, luckily you were already on that path and it's not like you were taking that much for granted. But uh, how did that process look? Because I think we had a call that off-season. You might, I think it was summer here, so it was probably off-season. And and I could hear you were like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. what, what's life like after? And I get this a lot. I think I need to start an agency or a, uh, something. Because everyone's like, <laughs> hey. Consulting. Yeah, I'm like, they're like, you figured it out. I'm like, I didn't figure out shit. You don't even know how challenging it is in this head of mine. It's, it's. I'm learning every day. But you phoned me, and and that was cool to to chat. And I could sense you're trying to figure out. Okay, probably not going to race, but you know what I want to do, right? You know, and what what is fulfilling to me. Yeah, now I remember that call, and well, thank once again, thanks for being there because once again you were there years after. Uh, no man that's the least we can do man it's uh, you pay it forward dude that's what life's all about isn't it as you know yeah yeah yeah, i agree but that that was a rough time because like just understanding how was the process to move forward man that was a whole new game and i'm still understanding it like two years after i'm still learning because like you have no clue on what to do, how to do it, who to call, how to propose, what to propose, how much to charge. Oh man, like it's it's insane what comes with this decision. I mean, I love it, but it's a whole new career, it's a whole new business, it's a whole full-time job. Like, like you were like, oh, I want to chill, ride bikes and travel the world. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good that. luck. Are you <laughs> stuck on your computer doing proposals and emails half the time? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the first thing I said after uh, kind of facing my decision, I was like, I think I told Sparky, the manager of the team at that time, and still, giant uh, manager. I was like, Sparky, I don't envy you at all. I'm sorry for being a pain for so many years. 
because your work is not cool, dude. Like, your work <laughs> is a mission. <laughs> like, just placing orders for so many guys. Like, if I'm struggling with my own order, I don't even want to know what's know. to order for so many and, like, making sure things arrive and having, oh, hey, Sparky, can I get this T-shirt? Like, damn, like, you don't want to do that. Like, it's just such a, such a, like, a pain. And, like, I was like, damn. So still, still learning, and it was rough. That that step was rough, but at the same time cool because like it was like all new thing. It was a whole new puzzle to to build and put it together. And I'm still putting it together, bringing people on board and team so we can make it happen. Yeah, and uh, what what was when did you travel around uh, Colombia? You said you wanted to explore it. You went on your bike, but then you kind of had ideas for projects or, you know, you kind of went off the oh, map yeah. in my mind. Like I know you were on social media, but you were doing a lot more in Spanish, right? So that was cool. And yeah. and there's this huge market there that now after three years, you realize maybe then you didn't, but what was like some fond memories of maybe switching off and, and traveling your country, which is fascinating to, to us that have never been. Uh, so let's put it in two answers. So first answer, maybe I went off the map from you, like being Europeans or South Africans or Americans, because something I realized, and the one of the things that I focus the most with the brands is like, hey, and that was something that Valentina, my wife, helped me with. You need to focus on Latins. Like, yeah. and I also I also realized that we don't have many references or reference. We don't have many writers. Uh, we don't have good content. Brands don't have many ambassadors speaking Spanish. So I was like, man, this is, this is it. Like, <laughs> this is what I need to explore. This is what I need to do. So that's why I've been focusing a lot on Latin market, speaking Spanish, and doing things in the region from Mexico all the way to Argentina and Chile, right? There's tons to do. So I don't even bother thinking on what to do in Europe because, I mean, Europeans are there. Americans yeah, are this, in North America. Yeah, it's saturated, huh? Yeah, I mean, there are so many all over there. But down here, you have so much. So I was like, let's focus on this. Like, I have enough to do here and there's enough to explore and, and to do. So that's number one answer. And we're still learning. We're still making contacts. We're still exploring. We're still, man, even though Latins kind of behave in the same way, because we as Latins from Mexico, as I said, to Argentina and Chile, we speak the same language. We kind of have same kind of culture in a way. Oh, man, from country to country, oof, it's so different. Like, it's impressive. It's impressive to to see the differences. So that's number one answer. And um, the other one, traveling around Colombia that you ask, oh man, I love that year. When I first went on this project, right when the pandemic, that was yeah, 2020, when we started just getting a few moments to travel around, I explored. So I was just, my mind was like, Fuck, like so many things where I was for the last 30 years of my life. Because I travel in a radius. So Colombia is big. But I explore, 
let's say max three hours radius or two hours from Manizales, my hometown. So I went on this area, which is the coffee axle. So coffee axle is the coffee region of Colombia where we live. And man, like we spent three weeks and I was like the restaurants, the views, the places, the things to do, the everything. I was like, I was just fired up to keep exploring Colombia. I'm still like, um, that's why I have my car ready to do overlanding. That's why I just got a motorcycle this year. And I'm waiting to equip it with my bike, my, yeah, my bicycle in the back and bags on the sides to go and explore. No Columbia ways, really. If you got a spare one, yeah, I'm yeah. coming, dude. Where's the invite? <laughs> that sounds yeah, you're free. That sounds like you a should. video project right there, dude. You that can could be show me to think about. Yeah. It yeah, would be sweet cool. to bring you over and Elliot. I've been meaning yeah, to bring Elliot true, over. Of like course, he'd here. be fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, he's. I love that's him. Fun. He's a good one. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's what I want to do. Cause like, it's crazy, Andrew. Once you start traveling to whatever, it doesn't really matter where you go. You go there. You go there because someone told you about X place. You go for that X place and then you get there, man, you need to come back and do Y, Z, this, that, that. I'm like, man, if I keep reading or like writing down all the list of the places that people tell me to do, poof, I have no time in my life because like there are so many places to explore. So it's, it's, it's beautiful to see how many things are there to do and to show as well, to show the world that the mountain bike scene is not only the States, Europe, and uh, maybe New Zealand, uh, a bit of Australia. I wouldn't even include South Africa uh, with all the respect. But man, South America has so many places, beautiful places. Yeah, I can imagine it's just untouched. I remember going down to Chile for Valparaiso and Brazil for the World Cup and uh, dude, it's awesome going to these. I mean, that's the best part and the worst part is the traveling, right? Because it it drains you, but you get to see all these amazing places. And that's why the World Cups, you know, when they had a few different venues a year, was cool. And and you get few, yeah. But then it then it very found few. its then it's found its sort of normal structure. And it was the same venues after the same and. Like you say, it is tough to regain motivation year after year. And that's what makes someone like Greg, but we'll park that topic so unique to just keep that that burning desire. But now tell me, Colombia. Now we see it in the movies. We've read the article. Yes. It's not only known for coffee. What <laughs> misconception can you help me with that I have of Colombia? Like it's they're known for partying. The party drug, the cartels, yeah. like, like, did they, dr I mean, it was probably gnarly back in the day, but like now, I mean, what is it like? I'll tell you two things. So, yes, I don't blame you. Movies, news, articles, everything has taken us to that place of being that sketchy country, drugs, everything, uh, yeah, whores, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But, <laughs> that's part so if you go to like unfortunately Cartagena and Medellin are paradises for that I mean people it still is like, it go, is that it's still like that now kind of you know a little yeah, hidden yeah, but it's yeah. there yeah I mean yes like I, I haven't been part of that you don't really see that 
if you go to places, if you go to Cartagena or Medellin, you don't really see that. Like, it's not like you're going to see Amsterdam in the streets, like drugs and bitches and everything. No, like, it's not like that. Uh, if you get the right contacts and you get the right information, you get you get places. Yeah, so but it's like under, it's, proper underground, you know, it's not in your uh, face like yeah. they make it look like in the movies. Totally, totally. Like, it's, like, it's, you really need to dig. Like, if you ask me right now where to go, I wouldn't even tell you. Like, I don't even know. I will have to make a bunch of calls to figure out. <laughs> so, but, it, but it's there. I mean, it's part of business. So you, and a do lot you know of, a guy, do you know a guy that knows a guy that maybe knows a guy? Uh, sh- yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's like that here. Like, you know, a guy that knows a guy. So you, you'll get, you'll get there. So, so that's the whole image that the world had from us. And that's why when I started doing this, I was like, man, I want to change that image. I want to show the other side of Colombia to show how beautiful it is and how many different places Colombia has. Even like my whole kind of intention at the very beginning was to prove Colombians that Colombia is not only five cities that we sort of know, which is Medellin, Bogota, Cali, uh, Cartagena, and Barranquilla. Like those are like the five top cities here. And that's Colombia. Oh, man. So that's why I started traveling. And just to prove you, I mean, there are some parts that have became, again, really sketchy. And you shouldn't go there. But just to prove you how safe it is, like, back in the day, there was a government, a period, where this president sent all the guerrillas, the rebels, to this place in Colombia, this area, big area, where all the, I guess, coke plantations, everything was there. So, and they were all living in this region of Colombia because they were trying to do the peace treatment. And that region of Colombia, there's, there are a lot of rebels living there and there's no police, there is no army there. And last year I was with a friend and we went in three cars, a good road trip over landing, just driving and traveling through that region because it's gorgeous. Like the things that you see there is gorgeous. And you're in their hands, you're in the rebels' hands, but they don't really mess up with you because you're not doing anything to them. So they're there, you're there, all good, thumbs up. And I mean, unless you get to the really bad place, but you would really need to find them and look for them, like the labs and I, I don't even know, but like there are places like that in Colombia. And if you get to those places, you're in trouble. But I mean, you would really tr- need to try hard to get yeah. in trouble. Like, and, it, and the most beautiful part of traveling to those random places that I've been traveling to is that you go there and you would see more foreign people than Colombians. Yeah, it's so often like that. Huh? From over. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, these guys, what are they thinking? Like, they're here in the middle of nowhere and barely speak Spanish and they're here. They're not scared of dying. So that proves how beautiful the country is and how safe it is as well. Yeah. And what's the acceptance of, I don't know if acceptance or, of mountain biking when they see you with a bike in maybe a region they don't know much about? They see it on the back of the car. Because here it's totally become mainstream. I mean, mountain biking is like the new golf. Like it's 
every yeah. second person has a mountain bike now. Every third wine farm has trails, at least in my region. Like it's actually crazy how it's exploded since I was a kid. Mm, I wouldn't say much acceptance. I mean, because these remote places are remote, Andrew. Yeah. So remote meaning remote. Like they would barely. They barely like, know what this downhill mountain bike would is or uh, trail bike. They're like, nah, what? No, they don't even feel or notice that there's a boom of bicycles in the world because they're yeah. so out there. So, I mean, they just see you as a alien. Like, it's just a weird thing there. But, I mean, they're cool with it. It's not like they're all oh, cool. The mountain bike scene is coming to our region. No, I mean... It would be more in mainstream places where you would be kind of welcome and you would see the industry kind of developing. But in those places, you would barely see bikes, like, like barely. And, and then like legal versus illegal, like what about the region that biking is more popular where you ride? Are the, what are the trails like? Is it getting more formalized? Uh, I've heard I was chatting to Slavic and I don't know if he was saying he rode with you and like you can do street urban downhills like people don't care you just basically do oh, like I urban mean, downhill and the people love it they're like oh yeah come past my my front garden whatever like this is cool and you can't do that in Europe but you know what's like the mountain bike scene like so, so yeah Slavic has been to some uh, ghettos here for example and it's beautiful how it works there because you could get to places and you don't even talk with the police to get in those, in those places. You talk with the boss, the boss mm. of that neighborhood. And then if the boss allows, you can go. So you need to, I, I think he's been to places like this or like that here, but also beautiful thing. I mean, here in Manizales, you have some, uh, how do you even say like, it's like, unorganized neighborhoods i don't know like it's it, it's it's the most the the thing that would make more the most sense for you is like ghettos or favelas and some of them are safe and like if they see a bike they're just like happy to see a bike just going through and jumping stairs so they would just get out of the windows and look for what's happening so they would celebrate that so they're really welcome and they would probably give you drinks and they would tell you to stay. So they're really warm in that aspect. So, so yeah, that part it's, I mean, I wouldn't say legal or illegal. It just, it, it's just cool. Cause they're happy to see a bike jumping stairs in the front of their house. <laughs> so that's one thing when it comes to organized places, bike parks and all that, that's a whole different thing. Cause Trying to organize a place, uh, it would be also money involved. Money involved from people, so from customers. Because government will, won't get involved. So the riders will get to pay. But unfortunately, it's if you want to try to do something official, I would try, I, I've been trying to understand how to make it official and sustainable. And it's just, it's just unsustainable. I mean, at least here in Colombia. Because, I mean, in order to pay the rent for the place, in order to pay the employees, I, if you charge here in Colombia per day, uh, let's say in dollars, 
$10. People won't even pay. They will complain. So there's no way on earth to make it happen because like we don't have that many tourists coming here to ride. So that's not one thing. We don't have per city. The population is not that big. And people won't be able to pay max 10 USD a day. They can't. So unfortunately, we just ride on trails that it's from a friend or that I'll have been always there. And it's from a private guide that allows us to ride there. And there are some groups that voluntarily pay X amount a month and they barely make it to maintain the trucks. But they're, they're good. I mean, they're in good shape. But so it's not illegal, legal. It's just the way it is here in Colombia. Yeah, but it's, I think it's maybe, maybe not a similar model in South Africa, but, you know, back in the day, it was all illegal trails. And over time, a certain private farm likes mountain biking. So then he builds it himself and, and maybe the club gets together and they volunteer and then there's a maintenance thing. But yeah, the education has to get wider and, and hopefully you need to find someone with land or the governments to see, hey, you know, this is a really positive uh, sort of, aspect to our country but it does take time and and lobbying like you say and finding the right maybe wealthy guy that has land or someone in the government that understands mountain biking but it sounds like a lot of red tape in colombia for this it, it is because at the same time they're scared for example we have these good trails at home and the owners are always scared like what if someone dies there what if someone crashed there then who they're gonna sue they know we have money, so they know we're a company. So they're gonna come to us and like we crash in your place, so you have to pay. So and that's the way it works here. Just like they're just scared of that to happen. So it's hard to convince someone to let you ride in their place once they know that if something goes wrong, they're gonna be the ones having to pay for that guy. Yeah, that's that's a big challenge. Yeah, here it's. You know, it's trespassing, so there's obviously liability that the farmers have to take out. And, yeah, I guess it's an ongoing issue anyway yeah. with it. But, but It's just yeah. part of the nature of their thing, right? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I mean, that's what brings us to urban racing. It's clearly the, <laughs> the, 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 the towns allow that. Uh, you like doing those? I don't even know if I – well, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> back then they so sketchy <laughs> yeah those things man like people don't realize how sketchy gnarly and wild those things are you you were there for a few times but oh i i someone asked me recently what was the race that you enjoyed the most and i was thinking like i don't think i enjoyed a race like you enjoy the pain. You enjoy the suffer. You enjoy the the stress that comes with it. That's what you enjoyed. So those races were that. That was as hard as it got. Like stressing, rushing, wild. Everything was just to the max. So I didn't enjoy them much. It was cool. I mean, I had to say it was cool. It was scary. And luckily, I did good too. And that those races were the ones that allowed me to kind of put my name in the radar for many brands. 
because I started doing really good in South America. And well, somehow you, well, I guess I enjoyed them, but they were really scary. Like to the point that if you ask me which one was the race that I remember the most was an urban race, Valparaiso 2013. Why? Because that was the race that I suffered the most. Like I barely stepped. I sweat all night. I thought so many times on quitting. I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not going to do this race. Like, there's no chance. That was the year that I signed with Giant and Red Bull. And then I got the Red Bull helmet that, for that race. I'm like, no, I, what's the point? Like, I'm going to die. Like, this is not right. Because of how so, sketchy the track is and you thought you could have a big crash. Like, that's... Yes, yes. Uh... The track was gnarly, sketchy, narrow. In order to try to do good, you had to risk so much. The consequences were big. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not, not cool. I'm going to do something else. I have three options. One, trying and dying or saying that I'm not going to race because I have the workup or finding an excuse, a good enough excuse to say, oh, something happened. And at the end, Okay, I was with Elliot that year there. Um, at the end, I, okay, I committed. Okay, let's try it. And I won it. So it was beautiful to like how I came back from that pain the day before of being like almost being keen or committed to no race and then winning the race. So, so that's what I'm meaning. Like if I enjoyed it, no, I didn't, but I did good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's easier to enjoy something when you do good and that's half... Half the catch twenty two of finding your passion. Did you really enjoy it, or did you kind of do it and start getting good, and then that was the enjoyment factor? So, um, yeah, because a lot of racing is super stressful. It obviously, comes up on the podcast a lot, it's a hell of a lot. Most of it is stressful. It's like a relief once you finish a race, you know. Yeah, that's all you're trying to do. Like, it's crazy how we're like the engine that we have inside. Because like, I don't think, well, passion is part of it, but pain and stress and nervousness and all those feelings that you kind of don't want to face, you're there to face them just for the result. And the result is a relief. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's this byproduct at the end, but it's actually, why do we go back? It's, it's challenging ourselves mentally, physically to get through uncomfortable situations because then you grow as a as a racer and technically yes you grow as a human is is going putting yourself in uncomfortable situations if you don't get uncomfortable you're not scared i mean you're probably not pushing yourself enough maybe you can like put trying like something a, like, new you know you could go to well i was just thinking here for example like you know powering is like it would be the other way around Powering is you go drink whatever, and then the day after, you know, you're going to feel like crap. Racing <laughs> is the other way around. So you suffer, <laughs> you do all this, the hard work in order to, at the very end, hopefully feel right because you achieve the result. But you know it's part, and you know what it will tell you. It will take you to feel, oh, I achieved this, or I felt good. I, well... But it's part, and you enjoy that process of challenging yourself. I feel like it's a drug. Like, it's 
it's just you become addict to try harder, risk more, go further. And it's just it's just part of you. And that's why racing is not for everyone. It's just for some people that have that insight and you're willing to do that. Not everyone is willing. Yeah, well, it's kind of delayed gratification, right? You're delaying feeling good. You're delaying uh, these these positive feelings and you're taking on suffering. Uh, you're taking on the work, the mental challenges. Parting's instant gratification. You're basically... So <laughs> racing, <laughs> racing, so parting is stealing time from tomorrow. That's what parting is. Okay. You're, you're, just, you're just borrowing time from tomorrow. Because you're getting this amazing feeling now, but you're going to feel shit tomorrow. You're borrowing time from the future. Racing, I don't know what the analogy is. I've never looked at it. Yeah. Well, you you feel like crap because you're training hard and then your muscles are sore. You're sacrificing your time. You're traveling. You're jet lag. You're doing all these things that at the very end, you're delaying gratification, as you said. So it's similar because like you still feel like crap. You're tired. Every day, every day you're tired. Every day you're like, oh, my muscles, oh, I'm training, oh, now I need to. And then for what? For that very last moment of being on the gate and trying your best. Because that feeling, I think the result is one thing. But the, the, the moment that you're in the gate, I think that's what we all love. And if you ask me, even these days, when I race, even not as the level I, that I raced before, being on the gate, that's that's a whole new game. Like that's a whole different game, a whole different world from your very like your routinary world. But what part of it is it? Because if you do it correctly, you're just so in the moment. Like what part of being in the gate? There's nothing else that you can have in your mind but racing. There's yeah. nothing else so that it's... you can have but that very present moment. Because it's almost like a form of meditation. I, I agree. And that's that's what I tell people. And that's why I became so, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I, I became such a fan of these long challenges. A good example, these massive road climbs. Last year, I did this Everesting, which was a good 17 hours, just up and down, up and down. And this, like I did, I did in Peru this year, this which is, I, I think, the longest climb in the world, eight hours climbing. And there's nothing that you have in your mind but getting to the very end. And you're just pedaling. And that's the most relatable to being on the gate, but uh, making it longer and just being present because there's nothing. Oh, you have to do an email. Forget about it because you're pedaling. Oh, I have to do a call. Forget about it because you're pedaling. Oh, I have no, like there's no chance to do anything else but what you're doing. So that's why I started enjoying so much this because it's pure meditation. Yeah, it's, um, and going fast, I think, is some weird addiction or form of it because if you're pushing yourself on downhill or trail bike riding, if you're going really f just above your comfort level or within it, there's a certain level you have to be present. You can't, like you said, there's no ways you're going to think about an email, right? And that's quite tough for me now is after racing, I don't want to race because of the, like that feeling, like I've done that 
dance. You know, I want to challenge myself in other ways, but it is quite tough because then you go and ride and my enjoyment came from pushing myself and probably getting into that meditative focused flow state, right? And now what? If, I, if I'm going to go to that level, I'm risking crashing and, and all the negatives, you know, that you, you think about. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But like, in a way, I mean, there's some people and once again, a good example is Mick. Mick Hanna, he loves to go fast. He doesn't have a different speed. He just goes fast. Yeah. In a way, something that I came to enjoy a lot recently is still you go faster than average of course because we had a background but oh just flowing it's i mean it's a whole new thing that before i never enjoy or flow no who wants to flow you want to go fast you just want to destroy the track now you just play jog do this find this little bank so i mean Speed is an addiction, of course, and you still like it. And that's why driving your car, your motorcycle, your road bike, whatever, you go fast because like you're addict to it. But when it comes to biking, I mean, I, I think you, you have to get a bit mature. <laughs> you like, because you understand the risks, as you said, the negatives. So it's up to you. You want to go fast? Okay. Just be willing to know the risk. Hit- hit the ground hard oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's and that happened this year racing like once again racing back in february urban race bogota red bull race important i went there and prepared for it because that race i like it and i wanted to do good very first run it rained overnight and then well you can imagine how slippery it gets the ramps the wooden ramps and everything it was mission they had to postpone a bit because it was still wet first run and i was like the day before i was like why did i even decided to do this again like what i was thinking i was good as i was i don't need to prove anyone this like what okay anyway i faced that i i moved on first run i crashed so bad like i was rolling down the stairs i'm like oh here we go again and then you have to kind of just deal with the pain, move forward, just try to stay motivated. It was hard. And uh, is that the one we spoke about? I think I watched that one, actually. Did you, you came down, did you qualify? Is that the one you qualified fastest, but then it rained in your run as well? Or some rain. It, it was, it was. I pushed through, I managed. And then quality. So I, the month before, oh, I loved but I hated it at the same time because I trained so hard, which I love, but it was dealing again with the routine of waking up early, going to the gym, doing weights, doing the sprints. Oh, I was like, oh, why, why am I doing this? But anyway, I thought so, but no, not that month. And then, okay, got there, practice, crashed, then quality, try hard, boom, qualify first. I'm like, okay, I guess I, I'm still capable. Uh, and then in a way, if you qualify good, you were kind of buying time for the track to dry. 
because it was still wet from the morning, right? From the overnight. So I, my bet kind of didn't really work because that day we didn't have one minute gap, three minute gaps. No, the gap was until the guy before you made it to the bottom because they were the live stream, whatever. So it was almost four or five minutes per rider. So I was in the gate. And even because it was stressing with raining. Half an hour before, I was with the mechanic, and the mechanic asked me, Hey, Marcy, if it rains, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? We go down the chairlift because <laughs> we don't race. Like, <laughs> we're out. So he asked me, and I, and because, like, there's nothing that you can do uh, if you're in a urban race. It's not like you can change tires. If it rains, it rains, and you're screwed. So, okay, we managed. It didn't rain. We were on the gate, and then the radio of this guy that was in the gate, kind of someone that was half down the track said, raining in X point. And then someone else answered back, raining in X point too. I'm like, damn, it's raining. <laughs> uh, I was like, what can I do? I was still there. Either I rolled back from the gate or I rolled down the track and wait to see how bad it was gonna get. And then probably one minute in the track or yeah, one minute and a half max, then I started seeing the ground with some drops. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And it was so sketchy. But well, I managed to, to finish third, which was uh, satisfying, but it was a lot of, a lot to, to deal with, more than I was hoping. I think I watched some of that and there is nothing worse than rain on an urban race. I mean, like you say, yeah. it's, you shouldn't race. It's literally, it's we, we walk, it's I'd rather over. walk down. Yeah, see you later. It's not worth it. It's, it's literally like riding on ice and, and, and you don't even know where the ice is half the time. Exactly. And even worse <laughs> there, because like you had two terrains or materials where you were rolling. One... The whole stairs where we race were stones. So stones like all put together. So all these stones, there's people walking up and down every single day. And when it rains, even walking is slippery because the, the stones are being polished by the, the shoes. So they're perfectly shiny when it rains. And you have that. And then second, you have the wood. Even though you put sandpaper, whatever, I mean, wood is wood and if it rains, I mean, you, like it can only get so grippy. So yeah, it was not ideal. <laughs> are you uh, are you still on Red Bull? Because you talked about getting the Red Bull helmet. Ah, man, long story and really, there are two things to say to Red Bull. Lots of gratefulness, because I achieved a lot, did a lot. Uh, yeah, so many good things that came with being part of Red Bull for so many years. But at the very end, Andrew, I had such a big, big, big letdown by the brand itself because I never hoped to, to see that corporate part of Red Bull. I don't even know what happened at the very, very end, but it was full-on corporate world and politics 
and then they just got rid of me. Like, didn't even feel like, oh, I was fired. No, like, it was weird. Like, you always see Red Bull athletes being part of Red Bull forever, as long as you're active, as long as you're there in the scene. But I think the saddest part was that one Colombian didn't like me. One guy from the Colombian team, I bet that was the reason. Someday, maybe I did something that he didn't like. And he managed to prove, I don't know how, don't ask me how, because things, everything was going perfectly in 2020. And for 2021, he managed to get rid of me. Just yeah, that's one crazy. Guy. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy because you do see like if you have a plan and and you you can step away from racing and I think you could have done good for the brand, but sometimes totally. yeah, marketing budgets, politics, like you say. I mean, we're not immune to it just because we ride bikes, you know. But um, yeah, they do exactly normally that. look after their athletes unless it looks like the athletes are maybe lazy or not wanting to go do events or. Or anything you really to have to screw it up value, but big time. Yeah, yeah. Almost said to try screw it up. Yeah, when they invest in an athlete. But like, what's it like being a Red Bull athlete? Like, obviously, you said there's good and there's you are grateful and it helped you and you helped them. I mean, what what is it like? Like, it seems like the support structure when it's going well is is pretty good. Away from it maybe is. maybe the paycheck and the helmet. Like, they seem to invest in the athletes overall. Yeah, I mean, there are a few good things that you have to say from Red Bull. So they invest on you. So if you present them a good program, a training program or idea or whatever, so if you pitch in in a good way and convincing, they'll be supportive because they want your best performance. So that's on one end. So they're, they're there to support. Then also something that comes with Red Bull that don't really come with any other brand that I've worked with is the media. So Red Bull, at the same time, it's a media company. And at least here in Colombia, we used to work with a lady. She was a machine to work with media. And so we were doing twice a year at least, or once a year, this media tour in Bogota. I mean, that gives you so much exposure. Things that you will never get or do, because like, that's a full-time job to be able to go to news, to TV shows, to newspapers, to this and that. So she was doing that. So that was also something that came with Red Bull. Something else that was probably one of the things that I was uh, the most, eh, yeah, I was going to miss it the day that Red Bull was gonna be, wasn't going to be there, is that Red Bull, from all the brands, teams, and staff that I worked with in my career, they were the only ones that give you an insurance. So we had this insurance with them. Like go at the end, it was go pay whatever it takes, like helicopter, whatever, we're going to be there. So, so it was really kind of relieving to know that you had that backup. So that, and the last thing also it's, having that helmet on or that hat, no matter what, where you were, what you did, 
you were someone because if you were from the industry, you know that if someone has a Red Bull thing, he's someone. Uh, whatever could be uh, chess, but he's probably one of the best playing chess. So, so yeah, that, that was those were all the pros. A lot of good things. Yeah, it was. It was like especially in the beginning and early years when you got on it. I mean. You, you knew if you saw someone with a hat and so did the girls that <laughs> you were someone in action sports or whatever it may be. I think it got diluted maybe lately, you know, other brands have joined the forces and, but they, I mean, that was pretty smart to brand a helmet. They were say one of the first, if not the first to sort of really brand a helmet. Like that is in every photo video hat, you know, it's like, the big Which, teams pay you like <laughs> 10 times more and then they that get was more what I was gonna say. so cheeky. I was going to say that. So smart and cheeky. Yeah. I was going to say it was like all what I mentioned before was pros, all good things. But then the downsides, after all, I felt bad for the brands, the rest, mainly for Giant. Giant's paying X amount more than Red Bull was. Red Bull was giving you a paycheck and some support for this and that and some bonuses, which was generous. But Giant was the one paying for everything, 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 yeah. everything, making it possible. But people swear they were all convinced, oh, Red Bull is paying for all. I'm like, well, if you knew. So, so it, it was kind of unfair. So, so that was one thing, and which was a pro because the Red Bull thing give you that presence wherever you were. Also, not having that Red Bull helmet or Red Bull, Red Bull hat, I was really craving to be Mr. No One. Just be there. If you don't know me for my face or who, for who I am, I'm Mr. No One, which, was, which is beautiful. And I felt it this year in Whistler. I was like, oh, it feels so good being in the line. And you don't have the looks in you, like no one knows who you are. I miss there, no one. I, and that's why I convinced the brands that I, was, I, that I was gonna ride with no logos at all. I don't even have my last name anymore for the last few years. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't either, actually. I, I was just over that, about that logos on the jersey. I was like, I don't wanna look like a pro. I wanna be the most relatable to the known pro guys. Yeah, that's cool. So what uh, what else are you up to? What have you got planned then? What are some ideas you can share or pipeline stuff? So recently, something that we were working on a lot is coaching. The coaching part after I started with the... So we started talking about the road tripping about Colombia, creating content about Colombia. But unfortunately, that's not on high demand. So people don't really watch that. People want to watch crazy, gnarly stuff. Uh, so that kind of, I moved into how-to videos. Well, I was mixing it. And then I realized like, oh, the views were way better in how-to videos. And luckily, and I have to say thanks to Oscar. Oscar, from working so much with him, you kind of get the way of explaining the, method the methodology and so many good things that come with working so hard. So explaining 
it's something that I do really good these days. And then the how-to videos kind of took me into coaching and coaching has been really good. So we've been working on that a lot. So the next thing is figuring out how you can step, step it up in order to be able to expand. Because if you still, and you focus on coaching presently, how do you presently? Uh, then you only have 24 hours a day and you have seven days a week. So you're gonna have, you're gonna hit the roof pretty quick. So our challenge right now is to see how we can move on and expand by going to the digital world, also how to create better content um, and thinking what else to do that we can keep growing because the team is growing, ideas are there. It's, there. it's infinite what you can do, but you need resources, time, smart people, but mostly content is what we're doing these days, working with brands, sort of working as an agency. And that's something that I've been trying to convince the brands to do. And that could be something for you as well in English. Uh, there are so many things that the brands consider obvious, but it might be maybe you being exposed to clients in your shop, you've seen it. People have no clue about anything. They have no damn clue. So even answering the most basic, silly things to people is worth. So I've been trying to encourage the brands to let us go through their Q&As and choose some, the most frequent Q&As on their websites and try to answer them on an easy way. Because like sometimes engineers or marketing guys or whatever, they become to be too technical. And then if you're a Mr. Random, just novice, new guy in the scene, that's Chinese for you. So our goal is to put that into more simple language and also work on the Latin community because we feel that there's so much to do in the Latin community. So we're still learning and, and working on that. That sounds awesome. And yeah, I mean, I just did a really basic how-to series with Shimano. We've done like three episodes. And obviously for us, and if you watch it, you're like, okay, that's, I do know that. I did race at a high level, but there's so many new people to the sport. And there's so many people that are sometimes embarrassed to ask these questions. But I mean, I don't know everything. The more I learn about some of the products and, you know, the fact sheets I get from the, the things, I'm like, Sh I didn't actually know that as deep as I could. Now imagine someone that's, buying their first bike, their second bike, and they walk into the bike shop and we've been there in the industry for 20 years. It's a daunting place um, to ask questions. So it's maybe online, at least they can, yeah, they can do it on their own time on online, you know, which we all know everyone's consuming a lot of information. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome what you're working on. And yeah, the Latin community is only going to grow, right? It is. I mean, there's a lot of people riding bikes after the pandemic, so many more. And you can see people, I mean, I know the sport is expensive, but I mean, there's a lot of people with money here that can afford a bike. And, and I, I simply feel bad for them because you can see them 
paying X amount of thousand dollars for different bikes and they go to the bike shop and then they go to the class. Andrew, we've had probably more than 600 guys going to our coaching sessions. And I can swear that probably counting with my fingers, I've seen right set up bikes, like less than 10, if. And you're like, man, it feels bad. Cause like they're buying expensive bikes. They're willing to keep buying to the shops and the shops are not even keen. Probably it's not cause they're bad, but and probably they don't even know what's good or bad. They're just willing to sell. So I see the handlebars. I see the, the angle in their saddles. I see the, the components. I see like not going too far. Imagine Miami, there's a lot of people, Latins there willing and they pay, they, like, they spend so much money. We've had people that go to our coaching sessions and they run their suspension locked since the very first day. They didn't know it was a lock and unlock, or they thought it was right. And I'll tell you a good friend that I keep laughing with him every time I see him because he, he became a good friend of us in Miami, Colombian as well. So he got to the private session with me and then I jumped on his bike. Okay, let's see what you have here. Jumped on his bike and I was like, dude, like what's wrong with your grip? Your left grip is loose. Oh, you, you sure is loose? I thought it was like that. And I was even keen on losing the right one because I thought it was like that. I'm like, no way, this is the reality. Dude, how dangerous is that? Shane, that's horrible. <laughs> and where's the I'm disconnect? Like, I know the shops are busy, but I mean, you, you can't <sighs> have that happen. And that's at a base shop level. That's terrible. I'm telling you, I, and that's why I've been trying to talk with the brands to allow us to to talk with the shops, to talk with the distributors, because like, I don't know where's the disconnection, but there's a huge, huge disconnection. And I keep telling the brands, like I was in a good call with E13 recently with the engineer in Taiwan. I was like, what? And race face as well this year. Why do you guys still sell 800s? And even rental, I think rental has a 810 handlebar. I'm like, don't do that. People are scared of cutting the handlebars. And none, like, unless you're probably Greg Minaro of Flo Payette that measure almost two meters, maybe you will run an 800 if. But the rest of the world don't need an 800. Go for 780. <laughs> that, that's plenty. And you get to the, the, most, the classes, yeah. Andrew. Or at the most. And you get to the classes and you see a four foot tall or ladies and people that it's tiny with 800s and they, they look like in a Harley Davidson. I'm like, where are you going? Oh, why there the better? Why there is more stable? Or like, oh God. <laughs> like, can't, can't so, <laughs> yeah, like you try. But then the, but the counter is there's a lot of information out there and some people become some serious experts at their own detriment. Oh, I love it. I, I love those. That's the best. I love those because like... That's the best, huh? Yeah, because there, there's too much information and that's why the way we try to do it isn't the most common say 
or common sense, simple way. Because I've got people coming to the classes. Oh, I watched so many different how-to videos. I read all these articles. I've been on Pinbike forever. I and like and and there's so much information that at the end you know nothing. Because there are so many different theories that at the end yeah. you have no clue. Because yeah. and it's I'll teach you. A, I'll teach you an English saying. Do you want to? Do you want to learn an English saying for that? Go for it. Paralysis para through analysis. I might even got it yeah, wrong, yeah. but you basically get yeah, paralyzed with all the information. Paralysis yeah. through analysis. Sorry, uh, that's the correct. I say the same to my wife because sometimes okay. you have so much that options. you get paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, I don't I don't blame them because that's a reality, but it's it's a good challenge and people have been really receptive. Brands, not that much, but I'm still keen on uh, giving them enough reasons to try to explain in a simple way. But at the same time, Andrew, I, I gave up. A good example is Marsoki. Marsoki is so simple that it simplifies your life for customers. Because you, as a normal customer, you have no clue how to mess up with low speed, high speed, tokens, this and that. And I was telling them, because I was running, I'm still running Marsoki. It's just enough. You don't need more than that. But no, people want so many dials in there. And then, of course, more dials cost more money and you make more money. So I don't blame the industry. I mean, oh, come Kashima. on, dude. It's the pros have it, dude. We got, I got Kashima. I want to, I want to oh, run yeah, what yeah. Greg's running. I want to run what the pros are running. Yeah. And I don't even race. <laughs> no, that, we, that's marketing. We, yeah, that's marketing. That's marketing. But, uh, you know, that, that's not going to go away, you know? And I like that. I like the super fans, not the right word, but I do like the super educated guy. And we have so many people in the sport. And that's what the podcast is about as well. There's, a lot of engaged people that I get message about the podcast. I want to, like you do, I want to add value, whether it's through stories or we do the listener episodes where some people ask questions and nothing's off the table, basic or a difficult one. Because like you said, there's a lot of information out there, but what's the right information for you? That's a, that's a difficult part too. How to explain people what's the right. And the right I consider it is the one that simplifies your life the most because sometimes there's so much information that you will only get more confused. So, but here, here we are in the game. Here we are trying. Here we are putting our grain into them and sharing knowledge to see one day people will listen. Maybe, dude. Maybe they will. If they ask, they might listen. If we tell them, they probably won't. But... It's pretty cool sitting here, dude. We both had downhill careers from uh, maybe uh, smaller countries than people would expect. It's pretty trippy, you know, and we're still in the industry. I, I kind of pinch myself half the time. Like, this is pretty thankful, <laughs> really grateful, but it's a, it's an interesting time, huh? Yeah. I Man, sorry about getting... Sorry about interrupting, but, like, let me show you what's going on, like... You'll edit this. Yeah, later. dude, this is a live podcast. Take me around. Uh, where are you at, Manasales? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on because my the floor is shaking. 
Like, I'm getting a virtual. I'm getting a virtual tour. We all oh. are. Um, oh, there you go. That's why this guy is just making the ground shake. What does he do? He's kind of what? Flattening Oh, it's a something. Oh, a dozer. Bulldozer, How do you call like those one? Yeah, bulldozer. That, yeah, bulldozer. So I was, I was sitting, and then that's why I stopped because I started feeling the the table shaking. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why is the ground <laughs> shaking? <laughs> so, like, well, look, unlucky you. Exactly the so day you, that we find the time to do the podcast, the guy started to fix the road. They digging up Pablo Escobar's money, dude. Go get some of that shit. Uh, try to get that money. It might be there's much more. Like there's so much money hidden somewhere, for sure. Hey. So as we were saying, yeah, I I would say, and there's people trying to like, how do you call when they're trying to catch the uh, treasure hunters? Yeah, like treasure hunters like, of his. Uh, of his money from All back in properties. the day that he buried in the ground. Oh, That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, there's. Well, you, you you need to watch this movie. Uh, I'll I'll send you the name later. I think it's Sintetas. I think it's Sintetas no Paraíso. Like, well, it's in Spanish, but I, I'll find the name. I was going to say better. you're going to have to text that one to me. <laughs> I don't understand a word. Yeah. I, that's the one funny, language like this, I would want to learn, though. It's it's cool. I really like Spanish. So these guys, the militaries, were in the middle of nowhere in the jungle, and then this one guy in the movie, at least. So he goes for a, to take a, a dump. So the way they do it is like they go and then stab the floor with the knife so they can grab and sit down and take it. So once he uh, stabbed the ground, he hit something, and he thought it was a mine line, uh, no, a landmine. And he was like, oh, yeah. God, I'm gone. Because like once you hit it and then you release the pressure, you go boom. So he was like, oh, damn. And then he was like, oh, so scared just taking the knife out. And then it didn't explode. So then they clean and figure out what was in there. And they found a massive amount of money in barrels from the guerrilla. <laughs> and the full movie is like seeing them, imagine I'm army guys in the jungle where they, they're humble, they don't come from wealthiness, and then suddenly they found millions and millions. So they, were, they told each other, don't do any stupid things. And the whole movie is about saying how they, how, how they were so stupid to put themselves into the radar, and they couldn't really hide that they found so much money. It was funny. Like, I'll, I'll have to text it. That's amazing. What will you do? What will you do with a million dollars right now? Oh, that's a typical Jackson, Elliot Jackson question. Right now, I would, I would travel. That would be it. Because yeah, people say, oh, I would invest it. I would save it. Oh, no point. I would just travel as much as I can for fun. What and blow it all? Not blow it all, but use it all on experiences. Yeah, yeah, probably. What What would you do with a million dollars? Who me? I'd I'd I'm lucky that I would 
kind of keep doing what I'm doing. I'm very lucky with that. I would probably keep doing the the travel and the stuff with the brands that I like doing. I might I might be able to say no to one or two things I don't like doing because I don't have to take all the paychecks. But uh, I think I would support this local charity more at home. Uh, I would travel more. I would retire my brother. I'd get him away from having to rely on a full-time job. My mom as well. Um, yeah, do some... Maybe you, I would... You just went to... Million, you did a lot million with dollars. a million. Yeah, but it's a million dollars goes far in South Africa. I can do quite a lot. It, it, okay, well, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad. Million dollars is Cause 17 I, million rand. I, I can do quite good with that. Well, I'm retired. Like, see million. you later, dude. 17 let me million tell you rand. How much, let, me, let me tell you, because I don't even in, know uh, how to read enough numbers. Let me, let me tell you so you laugh, because it's, it's crazy how many zeros they... I mean, be. I wouldn't have a lot so, left, but I could do a hell of a lot with that money in South Africa. It goes far. And the exchange rate is pretty oof, strong at the moment. One million dollars. Listen, it's no way. Like... I have. What am What am I three, looking? What is your six, currency called? Pesos. Yeah, pesos. So you go to three, six, nine, ten digits. So it's I don't even know what number is that. So it's four thousand nine hundred forty-six thousand millions. <laughs> this is a lot of. So see, I told That's, you it's a lot of money. Told you, you can I, do a lot yeah. of stuff with it. Yes, that's oof, that's a lot of money, but so you, yeah, yeah, I mean, but once again, that's something that I realized when racing, Andrew. I was always dreaming with so much money and like, oh yes, like so much money will allow me to retire. But pretty quick, you realize that no matter how much money you get, I mean, unless you get millions and millions and millions. But one million, even it sounds a lot, it won't take you too far if you do the wrong mis- if you do mistakes. You can easily screw up and end up bank- bankrupt. So it's yeah, yeah, it goes. You can, but if you quick. realize that you, if you live in your means and you realize what makes you happy, you can retire on a lot less than you think. If you chase the yacht and you chase. The cars and the oh, lifestyle yeah. and the keeping up with the Joneses, you need a lot of money to retire. But if you have a nice little pace, Manisales, and you like to travel and you, you know, you like nice dinners here and there, but not every night, you need a little less. If you just need your right friends, you see, it depends. Like you say, what what do you value? If you really do the deep work on like what makes you happy and fulfilled, like when you're the, the famous but thing I like you're on your deathbed, your you know that. Yeah, like when you're on your deathbed, yeah. what do you want more of? You don't want more money. You just want your time, your health, and more experiences probably with those people. It's what you want back. Yeah, and, and something that you mentioned there with your answer, I really like. And people should, that, that should be the answer for people. What would you do with a million dollars? And then if you say, I will keep doing the same, it's because fucking you're happy. I mean, you're you're satisfied. So that would also go in our case. I love what I'm doing. We're like, we're both riding bikes, which we love it. 
we're both traveling, we're both having a good time. Uh, well, we're both healthy in a way. So, I mean, good things in general. We have good friends, I guess, family. So, the, and then you mentioned the charity part. I would finally, I would add to that, I would finally buy, uh, build a pump truck that I've been dreaming with for many years. And I feel like I'm closer to building it these days because I, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty much almost there. I really want to make it happen because I want to give that to Manizales. And I see, and I would That's see cool. how Let's, that would impact. And do you need a pump track or could you do a skills area? Like for less, maybe oh. first. And, and like create and create something that you could prove to the council that works and then add a pump track and then add. Just a question. Mm. No, it's a, it's a good point. Cause like the way I thought recently was the other way around. I thought of a pump track and recently I realized that fuck, pump track, I also should build a skills part next to it. I mean, not not gigantic, but at least a few skinnies, few drops, because I've seen it traveling the world, how that it's so helpful for people. I mean, those I almost think that people we, ride more of that. I honestly think they ride that more than a pump track. I love, love I'm not against pump tracks. I like it. I just wonder if more people will ride like some berms and some mm. small drops and some tabletops built correctly. Or bu- I mean, I think you can do both. Yeah, I would do both. I would do both because I feel that a pump truck gives you so much more than drops and skinnies because a pump truck, if you don't flow and if you don't move your body, you don't move. So, and that's what the biggest mistake in people is like they barely move on their bikes. So if you build a small pump truck, next to a few drops, few skinnies, few obstacles, uh, then, I mean, that's all you need because people don't realize how much you'll get from that. So, so, well, that's something that I really want to, I'm really committed to making that happen. And, and it, actually last week I got the first draw, draft, right? from from this so luckily if things go right soon i hope to be able to give that to the city with some resources from private sector from the companies in the city but it would be beautiful so that that's something i would do with the million that would be awesome that's not a bad way to start winding down on what your future goal is it's to help further the biking region of your hometown i mean that's a pretty fitting way what else have i maybe missed or exciting things are coming exciting things coming andrew what else can we say just just about how challenging and how beautiful this whole new phase is just about giving back about sharing knowledge about trying to find the right way to satisfy social media, the algorithm, which is a nightmare. Uh, it's just just a never-ending process of learning. The content, like you're constantly trying to improve. Also, how beautiful, I love how challenging and beautiful it is to like we thought we work 
like in teamwork, because yes, we had the mechanic, the manager, but it was such an independent work. You, you, were, you were yourself. But now, if you have a team, being a leader, having people that work for and with you, my wife as a partner, business partner, she's the boss. So that's exciting news. She's the one that it's taking this business to the next level. I got married six months ago. So that's, that's news. Uh, Congrats. I mean, that's oh, awesome. Just, no, I, I, what about growing you? up slowly? Huh? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I'm going to get married at some point. I'm engaged. So I'm growing <laughs> up. Okay. Uh. <laughs> now the, now the world of pot, now the world of podcasting knows thanks to you, but I'm very happy. And, She's uh, she's keeping me on my toes in a great way. I'm very lucky, and uh, yeah, I think that's the that's a constant with life is progression and and change in a good way. And I'm I'm open to it. I'm more accepting of the doors that close and hopefully the new ones that open. I think it's quite tough as a racer because you just think there's this one door. Once it's closed, you've got to find like one other door. But you know, I'm open to whatever path I might go on in the future happy to hear that we we definitely should commit andrew to do something together hopefully next time to talk and share stuff to the world could be know, from right? you coming to colombia you need to come here we need to find a way yeah, with e 13 or the brands to bring you here done done i'm gonna call i'll email and call them right after this call man we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we'll, we'll tease it with a podcast and we say well it's out there in the universe it's it's for the brand uh, the brand now has to back it uh maybe what you'll you build the pump, to... maybe you build the pump track by then and i'll come and help you open it uh well sounds <laughs> good hopefully we can hopefully we can get one of the brands that support us in both I yeah, definitely, definitely need to make that happen too. Yeah, I've never Beautiful. done cocaine. So uh, maybe I need to come to Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's such a joking, joke. Joking, joking. Yeah. I know, yeah, but I had to. You can't, I can't resist it. I can't resist yeah, it. No, yeah. I'm joking, guys. Uh, I know there might be uh, youngsters uh, or fathers listening to this. I don't condone that. It's not why I'm going to Colombia, just so that everyone knows. Well, but just so you know as well, people think that you will get that everywhere in every single corner. I'll tell you. I know. I've been here I know, for 32 years and I've never seen it. And I, I don't even know where to buy. I know, man. It's the same bullshit people say about South Africa. I'm like, just if you come visit, you're going to have a whole different perception, you know? So, um, no, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, I'm going to work on this trip. And, uh, dude, uh, yeah, I'm proud of you, man. It's cool to see the the evolution of Marcelo from the racer that, fuck, I always, when I was commentating, just that would rip the pedals of the bike. You were so hungry to get to the finish line. And and, and I see you mellowing out, and, and I love what you're doing. So, yeah, thanks so much. And I think for everyone listening, follow his journey, Latino journey down there. Colombia and uh, yeah thanks so much Marcelo oh, thank you Andrew and thanks for everyone listening uh, as you said this is a, a whole new phase we're trying to give back help and enjoy the cycling world the cycling scene because there's so much more to do than just ripping the pedals that you were saying I've always taken my health very seriously 
but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. Thanks to E13 for partnering with the podcast for this episode. All E13 wheels are engineered as a system and optimized for the weight, strength, and durability for the riding style they serve, such as gravel, XE, trail, enduro, and DH. Making exciting World Cup performance dependable and accessible is their goal. All E13 wheels are hand-built to the highest standards for the ultimate in consistency and dependability and developed with pro riders and lab tested extensively to ensure it. Upgrading your wheels can make the greatest difference in performance, dependability and capability of a bike. In racing, we always look for every little advantage we could get. Wheels played a vital role in this quest. A lighter wheel will accelerate up to speed much quicker. With E13, I knew I had advantages that I could also trust with how durable the wheel is. A wheel needs to be able to withstand a lot of punishment on the World Cup circuit. E13's LG1 Race Carbon Enduro wheels may have started as the little brother of E13's legendary World Cup DH wheels, but they have evolved over the past few generations into purpose-engineered Enduro World Series-worthy thoroughbreds. These very wheels were awarded the vital MTB Best MTB Gear of the Year award in 2022. Head on over to www.e13.com for more info. Yeah, exactly, guys. You know what to do. If you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend. Maybe he can get some value out of Marcelo's wise words of wisdom. There were a lot of them. If you've got any questions for him or me, send us a message. I'm sure he'll oblige to, to answer it. And I've got that podcast series where we answer your questions. Maybe you've got a question. I can text Marcelo. He can answer it as well. 
Leave us a review. You know what to do till the next episode. Peace.